Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another one of our live Twitter Spaces rundowns. It, it has been brought to my attention that I should actually do a little bit of a better job of explaining exactly what's going on here, because apparently there's quite a few folks that are listening to this via our podcast. So for anybody who's listening through the podcast, what we are doing is every Sunday, uh, depending on a variety of factors, either at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, we are going live on Twitter Spaces and we are breaking down the major political events of the day. And we are doing this with the help of PR specialist Politico from all levels of government, Sarah uh, Biggs. How are you doing tonight, Sarah? I'm, I'm good. A little sick. Uh, my one-year-old infant transmitted, like she's been coughing in my face all oh, week. Oh, dear. So uh, <laughs> I'm getting the the aftermath of that, but I, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, extremely busy until Christmas, but I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break. How are I'm you? I'm good. Um, let's good. let's start since you brought up Christmas. Let's talk about yes. the best Christmas ever trademark. So we saw some yes. some interesting changes, and it was a fascinating week in government communications. Because we went from a scheduled press conference to, just kidding, not really, there's been an emergency meeting called by the Prime Minister, and then we went to, we're going to probably have a press conference tomorrow, and we had a whole bunch of speculation in the interim, and then effectively what happened is the Prime Minister announced some international travel restrictions, which were less than... I think a lot of people were were expecting. And the big thing that I want to kind of talk about with, with you in regards to the changes to the restrictions, Sarah, is what you thought about all of the communications that we saw from multiple levels of government. Because we saw that Premier Kenny was looking at making a major announcement in regards to the restrictions. And he'd alluded to it the week before where he talked about his Christmas mm-hmm. plans. Um, yeah. And then we went from that to the Prime Minister saying emergency meeting. And we had uh, some of Premier Kenny's staffers come out with some fascinating hot takes. We're going to talk about one of those in particular in a sec. Um, And then we saw the announcement from the province. So from a communication standpoint, what did you make of all of that poorly coordinated communication? (laughs) So it feels like the feds got their modeling at 1.30 and they called for a meeting at 138. Um, I don't think they were expecting Omicron. So here's the thing. Omicron was already here when they put in place those international travel restrictions. So uh, as we can see this week, Omicron's already doubling up. Um We've seen up north, it's been doubling pretty much every day or two. Um, It was extremely uncoordinated. You can tell that the federal government was not expecting to have... It's all speculation because I do not know what's happening behind closed doors at the PMO. But what it seems like is that they received all the data. They made a decision. They probably went to cabinet meeting in the morning. Then they said, okay, we need to call for a meeting with all the provinces to make sure we're all on the same page. But it was made, it felt extremely rushed. It felt extremely unprepared. And they just 
tried to do the best they could. Was it enough? I don't believe so. Um, and then Jason Kenny had to tweak his messaging for Christmas, but we went from what two household to ten with three hundred kids in the backyard. Now, that, well, that's is, the, that, <laughs> is that what we're that's, saying? that's that's kind of what we're doing now because the the way that they they changed the restrictions and I mean to to my reading anyways was they made it so that you could have up to ten people from any households, yes, um, vaccinated and, or not, which is a huge change. Um, because, and I think this is important to point out, we haven't rid ourselves of Delta yet, and we don't actually know very much about what Omicron looks like. There's been a lot of people that have said, well, it's, it's more mild. It's not as bad. It's more virulent, but it's not as bad. Transmissions is four times higher than Delta. Uh, In South Africa, the peak seems to have crashed. They peaked extremely fast. And they seem like they bend the curve right away. Um, but again, during Christmas holidays, their Christmas break started around December 9th. So it's kind of reliable, but not reliable at the same time. Um, now they're saying you need a booster to be protected from Omicron. Um, which is, so if we can go back to the provincial level, you have CMOH is like, you guys need to be careful. This is, this could be our fifth wave. And then there's Mr. Kenny saying, oh, no, it's fine. We got tests. We're good. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried to be sending my kid back in January back to school. Yeah. Slightly very worried. Um, and a lot of parents, like, if we're looking at Ontario right now, Ontario and Quebec are getting crushed. Like, I was in Quebec a month ago, and they were clocking five, six, seven hundred cases a day. Yesterday, they clocked 4,000. Um, it's moving extremely fast. Uh, in Quebec this week, at least 25% of the results were Omicron cases. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in Ontario if it's more in the 60 to 70%. Um, BC, I think, is starting to see the surge because I don't know if people saw today, but there was a testing center that was the the wait line was eight blocks long. I think the so again the base. The issue with the current government is that they're always trying to satisfy the grassroots base. Well, unless it comes they're, to policy or leadership reviews. Yeah, well, except that yeah, you know. It's, it's okay. Um, so when it comes to especially Christmas, uh, a lot of his base, um, you know, they're well. We kind of live in the Canadian Bible Belt. Um, let's be honest here. Um, so he wanted to maintain, keep his base happy, but show that he was kind of putting some restrictions. But here's the problem comes with that. There was a huge communication issue. And Nate, you and I talked about it this week. It's how to use those BTNX tests. Well, this is the, the fascinating piece for me because... We're heavily I'm... relying on those tests yeah. to have a open brackets, 
safe Christmas, best Christmas ever. But could those, could those tests turn into Mr. Grinch? That's well, not think... a question. Yeah. Because those tests are not, they don't have any data on asymptomatic people. They don't. Yeah. Um, the way the province said to use it and the manufacturer recommendations are two different things. So when I see people, people posting uh, pictures on Facebook of negative tests, say, yeah, we can go for dinner at grandma's. Hold up. You're not clear. A negative is not necessarily a negative. And that's where the issue lies. And that was one thing to the the health minister's credit. He did come out and say quite clearly, look, the, the negative test does not mean that you're for sure negative. Uh, it just means that you're not positive as per the test. And that's one of the reasons why they've even said like the, the false negative rate with those tests is is quite high. And that's if you're using them. As for the instructions. In a medical setting performed by a medical professional. Yeah. And it's, what we're... Yeah. The, the thing that I think I'm, I'm most fascinated with in regards to the tests is we're talking about tests that the, manufa- the, the province has doubled the recommended time. And in fact, the, the instructions for the test as they're from the manufacturer are very, very clear. You have an hour between 24 and 36 hours, a window between, sorry, a window between 24 and 36 hours that you're supposed to be doing repeat tests in. But the province seems to have decided that they want to make these tests last two weeks at the, at the very least, almost as if that lines up exactly exactly with, I don't know, Christmas and New Year's or something. Um, And so they have doubled that time. And what they're recommending, their recommendations or their instructions for people to use the tests are it's one kit per person. And the five tests that are in that kit are to be used by that one person every 72 hours. And the fifth test is if you somehow screw up one of the tests. But we don't, how like, I don't know how a, a... an average person who is not laboratory trained would know if they, they screwed up the test unless they like dropped it in the carburetor or something. So it's, it's, it's very strange to see the, the province pushing a medical tool that is completely against the instructions from the manufacturer. But and again, you are trying to make the situation. I believe I, and I truly believe that, CMOH and all that really tried to do the best out of a bad situation because those were the tests they were provided with. Yes. Let's remember that it is not the province who went out there and purchased the tests. It has been supplied by the feds. In Alberta. In Alberta. Yep. So we're dealing with a supply issue and the quality of supply for the current situation issue, and the government trying to stretch them a little thinner to see a hope and a prayer and see if it's going to work. They're all, I feel like they're almost crossing their fingers right now and hoping that they're going to be catching enough positive results with those tests. Um, but those tests, the sensitivity is not as high as other ones, unfortunately. 
And I think it's important to highlight as well that, I mean, you brought up the fact that those tests were provided by the the feds and that's true, but other provinces have made the decision to purchase tests uh, on their own. Uh, Ontario just recently announced that I think they were purchasing something like 10 million tests um, and they were procuring those through their their own pathways. So it's not that the the province is restricted to using only the tests that are provided by the feds. These are just the ones that they're getting for free. Yes. Those are the ones that we're getting for free. Um, Have we maybe relied on the feds a little too much? Perhaps. Should have they done, should have the provincial government have done more right before the holidays, if they wanted to open it the way they opened it, obviously. Um, but again, we don't know what's happening behind closed doors. We just don't know. Um, Doug Ford. So here's the issue. Ontario is pretty much engulfed in Omicron right now. We are not. So it's going to be a wait and see to see what's going to happen. But I do not know why our provincial government decided to not go ahead and purchase in advance just in case more tests because it seems like so i had some interesting stats on how the tests were distributed um so 3.5 millions went to 1300 alberta businesses and 40 chambers of commerce which was interesting 1.9 million went to 894 pharmacies, 1.4 went to long-term care facilities, 1.1 went to schools. Cool, I have not seen them. I will assume that a lot of them went to, uh, for example, the um, Catholic, um, how do you call them, the the Catholic CB? I don't even know how they call them. Thank you, the Catholic School Board in Calgary because a lot of their uh, staff do not want to be vaccinated. And apparently there's another uh, 556,000 that went to Alberta Health Services sites. So apparently there's 8.5 million tests in circulation right now. Um, Which is a pretty impressive feat because Global released uh, a some statistics on their own that were accurate as of, I want to say, November 28th. And the at that point, the numbers that the province had managed to get out were only, and I, I'm, I'm working from memory here, but I think it was only a couple of like 1.9 million tests. And that's, give or take some. Uh, but that's the thing that's really pertinent here. And we saw the the province play with the, the numbers a little bit as well this week because they went from talking about the fact that they were going to be giving out 500,000 kits. And again, those kits are five tests for one person to when they needed to take a victory lap after uh, multiple reports across the province of shortages and pharmacies that were advertised through the government website as getting tests, not getting tests. Oh, um, don't get me started on that today. Oh, I'm, I'm going I'm to get you started on that right after I get done this. But... We went for a treasure hunt today for tests. <laughs> and so I went on the Alberta website, looked up the pharmacies. Two pharmacies were closed, okay. The other ones that were saying that they had tests were out of stock. It's quite interesting that the website is not updated. So we don't have any tests, unfortunately. It's been handled poorly. Yes. 
Um, and that's where uh, I think that the other part of the conversation gets really interesting because they they had this debacle where social media was flooded with people who were complaining about. I mean, Lethbridge apparently would, Lethbridge is not a, a small town. Uh, Lethbridge is a full full fledged city. They apparently only got four hundred tests at one distribution center for the entire city, and yeah. people were really, really quite uh, upset by that. And if you think about it, it makes sense because some of the biggest areas that we're seeing high numbers are not in the major municipalities like Calgary and Edmonton. Some of the biggest places where we're seeing the numbers are in rural areas. And for a lot of people, uh, having access to those tests and, and getting buy-in from those tests is, I mean, they're not great. They're not super accurate, but they're at least, a a step in the right direction i would compare it to you know having seatbelts and airbags they they represent one component of the safety system and i don't want to disregard them by any stretch of the imagination yeah. but they you, you have to be able to to put your seatbelt on and there's a lot of albertans right now who are just dealing seat- with the airbag yeah which is yeah. suboptimal <laughs> It's going to blow up in their face eventually, right? There we go. No pun intended. You took it. I was hoping you would. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's... So, again, the vaccination campaign, I I feel like they slowed down on trying to bring on more awareness about the vaccines. I got my third shot last week. Um, because for health reason, I was eligible for my booster. Um, I'm protected. My husband has two shots. He's not fully protected against Omicron if we're listening to, you know, everything that's happening right now currently in the world. So is it AHS that dropped the ball in the distribution or is it the government itself? To me, it looks like, I mean, certainly with this announcement and the restrictions, changes that we're seeing with this announcement, the government really seemed to resist going the carrot and the stick approach when it came to getting people to get vaccinated. And we saw that when they were trying to use, um, you know, hey, if you if you get vaccinated, we'll, we'll give you a hundred bucks. Um, and the uptake on those was, was very, very minimal until they brought in the stick of, if you aren't vaccinated, then you don't get to do the fun things. And it seems like with this announcement, they have not only walked back almost entirely from that, because you can now have up to 10 people vaccinated or not vaccinated, uh, at a, at a a private event, um, and just to see how contagious it is right now, look at what's going on with the last Flames games a week ago. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, I'm positive. I got COVID. Okay. And those people were either negative or double vaxxed. Yes. Or some of them triple vaxxed. So that just shows up because, A, nobody was keeping their mask on because everybody was drinking their beers for three hours. Um, B, that just shows you how this variant is contagious because for sure it's got to be Omicron. Because we've got a whole team down plus how many cases in the cell now? I haven't seen any official numbers, but I've seen a lot of anecdotal ones. It's insane. 
Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen after Christmas. And I'm really dreading January 5th. Well, we're already seeing reports. There's There's been multiple healthcare workers who have come forward and are talking on social media about the fact that they are seeing the reactivation of all of the very bad things in healthcare to try to deal with the pending possible surge. And to be very clear, I don't want, I don't want to see a surge. I, I want, I, I would love nothing more than for there to be uh, a minimal impact of, of Omicron. I would love to see the, the reports that we're seeing that, that do say it's mild, even though mild is not an imperial metric by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I would love to see that be the outcome, but, at the same time, I'm seeing some of the leading people who have been very, very accurate in regards to what's been going on with the pandemic so far saying, well, yes, if there are, uh, if it's got a fatality rate that is 3.3% instead of the 0.9, that's still 40,000 Albertans potentially. And we saw the premier get up and talk about the fact that, well, you know, we just got to get used to the fact that everyone's going to get it. Um, that to me is is scary because the math works in such a way where you might have uh, you know in, in ten thousand delta cases you'll you'll have a hundred people who who lose their lives. Um, whereas if we're talking about omicron, you might have a smaller mortality rate percentage, but if it's ripping through the population unchecked, then that percentage and its translation into real numbers can be very, very different very, very quickly. Uh, 1% of 10 is only 1. Yeah. 1% of 100 is 10. So you're still playing with the same percentages, but because you're dealing with a higher case rate, potentially, you can still see much more far-reaching effects. Um, so it's it's... I have my fingers crossed. I'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping for the best. But, you know, my my personal take on it is if somebody says to you, hey, I heard that the bridge up ahead might be washed out uh, or might have collapsed. To me, the pragmatic approach at the very least is to slow down. It's not to step on the gas. And it feels like right now what we're doing as a province is we're stepping on the gas and we're hitting the nitrous and we're just going to, if the bridge is out, hopefully we'll launch right over it, but that's not how real life works. Jesus um, takes the wheel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite though, moment of this whole communications debacle around the, the change to the restrictions and everything else came from none other than the ex prime minister. I think we call them ex once they're done with the office. Do we still call yeah. them prime minister? Yeah. I'm going to call him an ex-Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, Stephen Harper's kid. Ben. <laughs> I'd laugh. When when Kenny had to cancel his press conference because the Prime Minister said that he wanted to, to have a conversation with the Premiers to talk about how they were going to deal with Omicron, Ben Harper tweeted out uh, that Trudeau canceling Christmas in 3-2-1 and then went on a pretty aggressive attack about uh, all of the things that he's claiming that the feds are responsible for, even though it is really important to remember that healthcare is uh, a provincial jurisdiction. Exactly. So I got a, I got a good giggle out of that. Um, but let's move on. Cause I don't want to spend too, too much time. And we've already spent half an hour on yeah. uh, that piece. Um, one of the other pieces that came out this week was the announcement that there was going to be 
and I'm air quoting the hell out of this addictions treatment by police. Yeah, and as as you always like to say, it's always in the fine print. Um, And there's a couple of pieces of this that I think are really important to highlight. The first one is the fact that what we're talking about is people who, if you actually read what the government's released, and there may be more details forthcoming, I wouldn't be surprised if there there were, but what they've publicly said so far is that all that they're talking about right now is making sure that people who are currently getting uh, treatments like Suboxone, uh, so we're talking about the injectable opioid antagonist therapies, so people getting injections to basically stave off the 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 really severe the symptoms yeah. of of withdrawal um that's all we're talking about so there's i i went through all of the announcements i went through the alberta government website and i couldn't find any um any record anywhere of this being accessing treatment that would address the underlying issues that are driving the addiction all of this appears to be is well if somebody's already getting one of these injectable opioid and agonist therapies they can continue getting that oh and by the way it's not that we're going to let them out of municipal jail to get those therapies they'll just be getting them while they're still in jail yeah which to me feels like a huge nothing burger for the way that they they trumpeted it. What did you make of it? Uh, it could. So there's two sides. It could be a good continuity of care for those receiving uh, Suboxone and um, that wants want to continue. That that that's a good thing of it. Oh, for sure. And that's it. Um. On the other side, how are they going to a bring medical staff to administrate those injections? Um, very often, you need to be monitored under those medicines to make sure you don't have any, you know, side effects or everything is right. Um, I don't think a cell is the proper environment to try to go cold turkey here. Oh, for sure not. No, it's not. Um, also, you, you 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 need to be ready, and you need to be willing to receive. So I'm wondering where the constant will be, and I'm I'm wondering where they will draw the line. Um, it does not address the safe supply problem. It does not address the overdose problem. It's like if they're shooting on every single target they can think, but they are not shooting on the targets that we need to take care of. Well, that's, I think that's what bothered me the most about it is it feels very almost performative. In that it is extremely not, performative. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not addressing the underlying issues. It's not, nope. It doesn't bring to the table the things that people are asking for. To be clear, I think it's fantastic that people who are already getting that therapy will be able to continue getting that therapy. Um, so who will be, so here's my question. Who will be, who's going to be in charge of being like, yeah, okay, he's going on some looks home. Who's going to say that? I would... I would hope, I mean, from the, from the press release, it sounds like they will be consulting with physicians. And I do know that right now when somebody is taken to a facility like Calgary Remand, for example, yeah. there, there is are a, there, there are, are nurses and there is a, a, a paramedic that does an assessment before they're, they're booked. Um, but 
it's jails are not rehab facilities no they're not and one of the questions that i think has to has to come up is that when we're talking about the people who are uh the they talked about paramedics quite a bit uh in the announcement and when we're talking about the people who are, are working in those facilities we're not talking about ahs paramedics we're talking about private companies and so it would be I think a little naive to not ask the question at the very least, how much of this is let's give another tool uh, that to privatize the MS service to, well, to private, to certainly to move it in that direction. Because if you can say, look, we have paramedics that are working in remand that are providing these therapies. Um, Maybe we could get some of these private paramedics doing other things. It's, it's, it's surprising to me that this is the tool that they're giving to, to private companies that are operating in these facilities. So what is surprising also is that if I feel like they, they're skipping all of the the steps to determine if subluxone is appropriate for someone or not. And they're just go, just going it's it feels like a blanket solution. I I would desperately hope uh, that they would and I, I know that it's said in the press release uh, that they would be involving physicians. And I would just desperately hope that there would be some sort of well-documented evidence-based process to make sure that, that A, it's being administered uh, appropriately is, is really all I can I can say on that. Um, yeah. It's um, be interesting to see how, how everything pans out. For sure. The other big announcement that we got this yeah. week, let's talk about the curriculum. So we just dropped an episode where we had a conversation with another teacher uh, who was raising concerns about not only the methodology behind the curriculum, but the impact of the curriculum. And we've done now four episodes where we've talked with subject matter experts and teachers uh, about the fact that the, the curriculum is inherently flawed and it is being pushed onto a system that is already in many ways past its breaking point. So for anybody who wants to get a little bit better context of what we're talking about, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to some of those episodes and particularly to listen to the episode that we dropped uh, this morning. But Adriana Lagrange came out and kind of sort of announced that they were going to at the very least revisit the problematic social studies curriculum. What did you make of it, Sarah? Um, it is extremely unfortunate that the government always backs out under tremendous pressure. It would be nice if they listened first. Yeah, well, you know, they're, it's not their strong suit. Um, it always feels like it's a last-minute rush decision. They realize that this co- could cost them the election, so they didn't do it for the good of the education system. We're going into an election in May 2023. So everything, every single decision that the government will make in the next 16 months um, will be, I, I think it would be safe to say that will be politically motivated. Let's put it that way. Um, the hole they've put on the curriculum this week is nothing, absolutely nothing related to the good of those kids out there. There will be learning on the new curriculum. 
it is because the pressure was becoming too much and they were worried about their re-election, re-election ch- chances, which are not quite high at the moment. Um, so they backpedaled. But again, in the fine prints, who will be reviewing the curriculum, Nate? Well, it's always the fine print, isn't it? Always. Are they going to go back to the same people and say, please rewrite this? Or move a few things around here and there. So hopefully they won't see them. They won't see that we switch the Greeks and the Romans from grade two to grade five. Who knows? Well, we do know that they switched a few things around. They so did. The, 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 the financial literacy is, is now in phys ed because of course it is. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Sorry, <laughs> I can't think. Um, but the other part of it that, that I think is interesting is they've seemed to really pivot in their communications towards the math curriculum, and it's important to realize that the math curriculum is not without its problems because the math curriculum says very clearly that students should know that a second is one yeah. sixtieth of an hour. But- yeah. So there's but, there's still a lot of problems, but we did see one of the people that the UCP used on their initial review panel come out a couple of times this week and and try to uh, it it really did feel like spin because this her her Twitter account has been quite quiet um but she she came out uh and said Adriana Lagrange you're basically you're the bestest ever and you made the bestest curriculum ever. Um, and it's it's been fascinating to watch because the person that, that appears to be, uh, have been tagged to say, could you please say some nice things about the math curriculum is somebody who was instrumental in moving away from the curriculum that had been developed under development for years. Yeah. <clears throat> Is there anything left to say on how bad this curriculum is? I feel like it's it's in in many ways a a a bottomless pit. Like, let's be honest, we're gonna go back in February. They're gonna be like, we have a brand new curriculum. They will. It's gonna be painted in pink instead of blue. They're gonna be shuffling the board a little bit. Remove one or remove one or two items that are quite you know that could be quite contentious and hopefully Mark Kenny won't make it um, and then they're going to call it a day but it's interesting like, I, I saw a tweet today from uh, one of the, the people who's affiliated with support our students who's quite active and, and has a gift for keeping receipts um, he, he shared a picture because this the, the lady that I'm referring to just for, for a little bit of context for anyone who is not familiar with what I'm talking about. Um, the, the lady that I'm talking about is a, G- a general practitioner who was part of the campaign to remove the curriculum yes. because uh, she was alarmed that her kid could not do multiplication tables. And that led yeah. her to talk as if the um, times tables were not included in the air quotes new curriculum now it's important to realize that the air quotes new curriculum hadn't been implemented at that time so the curriculum that would have come out would have actually addressed that and that's what 
uh, Sean shared on the, the Twitter machine today, where he clearly showed in the 2018 draft uh, in grades three and four, kids would be required to memorize times tables. So it wasn't something that was was just being left out, which makes me that's why I say, like, I'm really curious whether or not this was just spin that somebody was requested to do because again, once again, it's, it's fear mongering on the curriculum that is not in any way rooted in fact. It's always a spin. That's really unfortunate. They're always spinning because they get themselves so deep into trouble and the public backlash. And I'm just talking like pure PR point here. It always seems like they always try to push our limits to see where we are going to go and what we are going to do. And then they're going to be like, we hear you. We hear you. But there's some people that they're losing. And I think that's really important to highlight here as well, because the other big education announcement that came out this week was the fact that the Northwest Territories, who have been using Alberta's curriculum for 40 years, years yeah publicly came out and said uh so we're switching to bc and in the press release if if you read the press release it was pretty clear that the uh the the cultural weaknesses and the 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 racist stuff in the proposed UCP curriculum played a big part in that. Now, they didn't explicitly say that, so I need to be very, very clear. But a lot of the press release talked about the importance of uh, cultural issues, talked about uh, First Nations issues, uh, talked about Indigenous issues, and how the BC curriculum does a very good job of representing that. And it definitely, mm. there's to me, you can't read that and not go, oh, they were throwing some shade. They were. Um, be- <sighs> How could I say? They think that they have the best and finest out there. So, <sighs> they're, I'm seriously wondering how much bubble wrap they have around them. They do not seem to grasp. Like, if a province drops your curriculum after 40 years, because some of it is purely racist, and then they spin it into, well, you know, we had a good problem. We had a good program. We had a good thing. We had a good thing going, and they just refused to follow our lead, and best of luck. But really, what? I don't even know anymore, Nate. It's just, as soon as you tell them no, they throw shade at you. And they're going to throw a temper tantrum. They're going to be like, Northwest Territories suck. And then they're going to take their red ball and go home. That's pretty much what they've been doing this week. It has been, yeah. Um... And then... And let's be honest, that curriculum is not really uh, focusing on First Nations. It is extremely racist. It is not being considerate towards other culture, but, you know, ancient Greek and ancient Romans, it's extremely important to understand in grade two or five. Um, What's next? I really do not understand what they're trying to do here. And I strongly believe that Miss LaGrange is in a bubble of bubble wrap. And they're trying to 
make her not aware of everything's happening around her. I'm I can bet you five dollars that she was extremely surprised when she learned that they dropped the curriculum. I yeah that I you would probably win, but it uh, given and let's be clear like the the work that we do here on the show in regards to the curriculum has been incredibly informative and I am incredibly grateful that we've been able to hear from so many people who know so much more about curriculum development and yeah. the differences between curriculum and pedagogy. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that, but, and, and I'm just, you know, at the show here, we're just a group of people who are trying to, to understand and, and make things understandable. And from what I know, uh, and I don't have the resources of, I don't know, somebody who say is the minister of education, for example, uh, from what I know and from just listening to, to people who know the things, this thing's a flaming train wreck. And so it's, it boggles my mind that the person who is allegedly steering the ship on education in this, and this new curriculum would be surprised to find out that the, there are other provinces that are just going, Oh, hell no. Yeah. But do you think, there, there are so many high fives that go in that room. Try just trying to, you know, yeah, we're doing the right thing. We're the best. This and that. There's, there's a fake success environment that is being created in that caucus. Ooh, I like that. They are creating. It's a parallel world to what's happening right now. It it feels like another dimension. The, the morale in there, well, okay, so we do hear some things that could be or not ha be happening during caucus, but I have a feeling that they're so pumped and they're just like, you're doing such a good job, keep going. Even if they're doing the worst job ever, I bet you Ron Orr got a pat on the back to be like, hey, good start. Keep, keep going, bud. Well, he did a um, good job smiling and not yeah, saying well, anything controversial. <laughs> exactly. Well, his press secretary did a good job. But yeah. um, I feel like it's an artificial work environment, successful work environment. Let's put it that way. It's extremely artificial. They are in their bubble. They are not cognizant of what is happening outside on purpose or not. That's fair. I saved the two spiciest ones for last. Mm. And it's been pretty spicy so far, but I saved the two spiciest ones for last. Am I going it to swear? Are you going to uh, make me swear? I think there's an off chance with the second one, but let's find out. Okay. So before we get into the second one, I want to talk about, um, it's been a week since our last yes. live at the Space Bar. Love the graphic, by the way, Andrew. Um, yes, thank you. Andy. Graphics. Like every week, you come up with something. New I love how we and... cut my baby out of there. <laughs> Which is good because you shouldn't post pic you shouldn't post pictures of people's kids without permission. I'm a big believer oh, in that. Coffee I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but on our last spaces bar, we talked about the fact that somebody went and won themselves the nomination race. <laughs> and that was not recognized at all. No, crickets. 
the party. Okay. It's been a week. Um, I've been looking. I haven't seen anything of you. No, I think Jason was just really busy and making his Christmas list and, you know, trying to get the, <laughs> the seating plan and his dining room with his three household um, party. Well, you can do 10 now, so it's, 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 it's popping. Um, it's a party. It's going to be whooping. Um, can we just agree that they will just not acknowledge it ever? Well, this is this is the interesting thing, and this is what I wanted to talk about for a sec, because one of the, the theories that has been floated, and I think that we saw sort of the rumblings of it at the beginning yes. of the week, was that the original plan from Team Kenny in regards to Mr. Brian Jean, and for anybody who hadn't picked up, that's what we're talking about. Brian Jean did win the nomination for uh, the constituency that he was running in and running on a campaign of getting rid of Jason Kenny. So he won that nomination and there has been no official recognition of that fact. And there was a theory that was circulating that the reason for that was because Jason Kenny was looking for ways, which may have included uh, having the party uh, do the dirty work, but he was looking for ways to invalidate uh, Mr. Brian Jean's nomination. And that got leaked, that, that theory and how grounded that theory was or was not in reality, we'll probably never know. But that theory got leaked very, very early on. And clearly, his nomination isn't going to be anytime soon uh, revoked. No. So this, this has created a whole new slew of theory, theories. Um, up to and including the possibility that uh, Jason Kenney will let Brian Jean run uh, in the by-election as yes. the UCP candidate. And then when we get closer to the election proper, he'll just not re-sign his nomination forms. And if we're close to a, what is going to be an even more contentious election than the 2019 election, that might just fall through the radar. And it certainly wouldn't give Brian Jean any time to put together any sort of organization or apparatus to create his own party, as we've, we've speculated might be one of his goals in the past. What do you make of all of this? So we've heard a lot of speculation in the background. Um, they're going to let him run. They're going to let him win. Um, because it's his playground, so... I highly suspect that um, Mr. Jean will be winning um, the election. It's going to be in March, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So my prediction is that he will be winning that one. Uh, what is going to be interesting is we will have to wait and see if they're going to sit him, make him sit in the corner and not give him any responsibilities at all. Well, I don't think he's getting a cabinet post anytime soon. No, I don't think he's going to be getting a raise. Um, and then it's going to be interesting to see if maybe they want to keep on going with him or not. Because let's be honest, if Mr. Jean wins the next election, the next partial in uh, Fort McMurray, and decides to do his grand tour of Alberta, to be like, we need to get rid of Jason. We need to get rid of Jason. Jason Kenny next election could be like, you know what? Nuh -uh, you're not a team player. 
don't want to move along with you. That it wouldn't be too crazy. And especially if he is able to survive his leadership review, that would certainly give him the, yeah, I don't know, momentum. I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the momentum to some oxygen. Brian G. Yeah. Yeah. Some say, oxygen to kick you out. You to G. take me out. I bust in bus loads of young people. people to make sure that I fix the, the election results is, I don't know, that's a speculation. Um, but uh, if he survives that, that would certainly give him the potential to say, wow, Brian Jean is just not reading the room and I'm going to remove him from caucus. And now Brian Jean can go sit as an independent with the other bad, bad, bad MLAs. Yeah. Pat ran. He can go back. Right. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're going to be best buddies. They, they could go to, is it Arizona or Mexico? Uh, I think it was Mexico, but yeah. I could be wrong. They could go on vacation um, together, but no, I yeah. think that what's going to happen is that for the next general election, it's going to be like, no, nope, you're not a team player. You're going to be sidelined. You're not coming with us. He's going to be kicked off the bus. Probably. Yeah. My last question for you, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you raised this in a tweet. You are not by any stretch of the imagination, the first person to raise this in a tweet. No. Um, the the communications that we've been seeing from both major party leaders have been, I'm going to say, off-brand. So, I've seen a lot of criticism today on people. Some people out there are saying that, so, oh my god, how can I explain that? The goal is 2023. There are a lot of issues right now that are happening. I can understand and I can appreciate that both sides of the aisle are trying to be relatable. I do can appreciate that. But when there are more tweets about... Um, Bacon? Yes. Or uh, thank an oil and gas worker. I, I would like to say thank you my husband to you know provide us gas so we can heat our home um but i it's like it's almost if they're trying to reinvent invent themselves but it's not working so a lot of people today called the people who were criticizing the cons on the ndp side uh goldfishes Okay, sure. Um, they're saying that, um, you know, there's no reason to criticize uh, the NDP comms or the UCP comms at the moment, but there is. Um, a bucket of bacon, a pizza machine. I know, I understand that they are trying to be relatable, but there are other ways to do it than the way they're doing it right now. Because what's going to happen is that they're going to give each other material to make fun of themselves, uh, of each other during the election. That's literally what's going to happen. And at a period where Omicron is there, the kids are off school, there's a fifth wave coming. I'm sorry, why are you tweeting me about an oil and gas worker? And why are you tweeting about a pizza machine at McEwen? <laughs> It, it, it's I think a fun it, fact. It could be a fun fact Friday. You know, 
it happens, but it's been happening way too much. And to the people out there saying that we have no right to criticize what's happening, well, guess what? It's my job. I think the other piece to the comms <laughs> that I found fascinating, particularly yeah. on the NDP side, is they seem to have taken, like, I feel like they found the one progressive who maybe worked at the post-millennial and they've hired them because the number of retweet if you agree retweet if you like oh, i don't like it it's i really it's, don't it's really quite something um because that and that's another thing that i you know i, I went through the uh, the ndp timeline well i'll just say rachel notley's timeline and I couldn't find a whole lot of examples like that in the, the past. I mean, she has done humanizing social media posts before, for sure. But this is this is a whole new tone. I think and... that maybe they were seeing that there was less engagement on Rachel's account. And they tried to generate more organic growth. Let's inflate through... the numbers. Yeah, to try to, you know, make the numbers look a little better, create, create more retweets, create more re quoted retweets, really try to create a conversation. I think they saw it, that it could act as a, con a conversation starter, but it does not. Well, a it is. solid not tweet. A good conversation. <laughs> it is not. It's like retweet if you like. Okay, this is not like the brand new Louis Vuitton handbag I would like to buy. We're talking about education, health, our seniors, and just trying to keep the province afloat. It's not going to be like a like and retweet if you agree. It's almost like if they're trying to see it as kind of a polling and a way to, <laughs> to generate conversations, but it is not happening. Well, the idea that you could do any kind of accurate polling on Twitter just with the influence of the algorithm is is really laughable at best. But what what's most fascinating to me, and this is what I wanted to get your take on before we wrap up here, is I haven't seen a whole lot of positive feedback for the tone that we're seeing from either of the leaders of either of the major political parties. Everybody seems to be going... What the hell are you doing? Even um, even the most partisan people out there. Oh, yeah. But they're continuing with it. And that's what I wanted to, to ask you about is why do you think, despite the fact that, that some of the most uh, dedicated, loyal uh, yeah, we won't followers on them. Either, either sides of the political spectrum yeah. are now starting to go, what's going on here, guys? Why are they continuing with it in the in the face of that very passionate feedback. Yeah, so, again, I love that Miss Motley is trying to be relatable. The approach to be relatable is not the right approach to do it. Um, and also, they're... So, I know exactly which people you're talking about. And they are on the further left of the spectrum. Um, yes feels like they are not um, how can I say they are not serving their agenda that they want to see out there they feel like they've been put on the side and that their agenda is not being furthered um, even one of them the other day said you know let's start a re revolution let's, be a, let's go Marxism 
it's a big. I jump. think, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite intense, especially when you know that person a year ago was tweeting about buying a Peloton. Um, but that's a discussion for another day. So, but they're losing the both extremes, right and left. It with those tweets, it's almost as if they're forgetting about their agenda. And they're just trying to be present, and that's it. Yeah. It's like they're giving a little sign of life and be like, hey, we're here. Look, I'm eating and supporting local, which is great. But that bucket of bacon is going to stay with her for the next 15 oh, yeah. months. Yeah. Unfortunately. Be... And this, it's like yak meat with a shower. It's the exact same thing. It's going to stick with her. And that ex it's just extremely unfortunate. But I feel like um, the different, you know, kind of uh, wherever you sit on the spectrum right now, either you're a UCP supporter or an NDP supporter, or you're kind of sitting in between, sometimes on the right, sometimes on the left, you just feel like nobody is addressing your concerns, or very rarely, maybe just once a day, which is not enough with the kind of issues that we're dealing with right now. We're just not feeling heard. We don't want to hear about the pizza machine McEwen University this week. We want to hear how we can get N95 to our kids, how can we get more boosters, and how can we keep our kids under the age of two safe because there is no vaccination inside of you anytime soon. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. Um, we have one more of these left. We do the Boxing Day special. The Boxing Day special. So the ask that I'm going to throw to everybody who's listening to this, whether you're listening to it live tonight or you're listening to the podcast version, is we want to hear what you think the biggest political stories from a provincial politics standpoint were of 2021. Because we are just a we're hair's breadth away from 2022, and I have no doubts things are only going to get more dramatic and intense. But we do want to we do want to hear from from people what you thought the biggest political uh, stories were in provincial politics. So if you can uh, either DM us um, or yeah. tag us in a tweet and let us know, because we're going to we're going to talk through some of the, the biggest ones next week. And I'm going to I'm going to ask Sarah, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework here. I'm going to ask uh -oh. you to come up with your what you believe the biggest political story was from provincial politics in 2021. I'm going to bring mine. Hopefully. Oh dear. And we're going to really open up the floor uh, next week as well. So yeah. if you want to be part of that conversation and share your thoughts, by all means, please do. We're going to have a little bit of fun with that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, we only have one more interview episode left that we're going to be dropping before the new year as well. Uh, and that's a, oh, that's a spicy one. Um, we sit down with the host of the cross border interview podcast, Chris Brown. We were able to record an interview with him uh, a couple of weeks ago before a few things happens. Uh, and it, he he's got you know when you listen to him on his podcast he's he's pretty he's got some opinions but he uh he doesn't really share his opinions in the way that he did in this conversation and it, it crosses all levels of, of government he's got some very strong words for 
the current Calgary City Council. He's got some very strong words for the provincial government, and he's got some strong words for the feds. So it's that one's going to be dropping next week, and it's not one to be missed. Um, Sarah, before I do the obligatory Patreon plug that clears out the room, did you have anything that you wanted to throw out there? We, for, we forgot to talk about Bill 21. You know, it was it's actually... Do you want to go late? We could go late tonight. We can go late. We'll next time. Okay. Let's do it. Because it was at last Let's on my it. list. And I was like, I don't know. This this is gonna this one's gonna cause I'm a feeling spicy. All right. So yeah. let's talk about Bill twenty one then. Yeah. Sarah, what's okay. Bill twenty one? <laughs> Bill twenty one is cat capitalism wrapped in a blanket of secularism. That's pretty much what it is. Um, so basically, um, with Bill 21, any religion that, uh, they don't want anyone to exhibit any religious signs, except they have very specific guidelines for, um, cross earrings or a little cross on the chain or, you know, very Catholic signs that can be put or maybe a star of David. Um, so, and so uh, that's the, but the religion so basically if you're Sikh if you're Muslim if that wear if you're Muslim lady, uh, women that wears a hijab and we're not talking face covering here just a headscarf really that's what it is um, if you're a Jewish person and you're wearing a kippah and where uh, work in the public se sector or are a teacher, you're, you're not allowed to wear your kippah anymore because a kippah is so obvious, right? Like, not. Um, so, and it's also, so, so I'm from Quebec. Everybody knows I'm from Quebec. I've been living in Alberta for 15 years. Is it 15? I'm going on 16 years next year. So, there you go. Yeah, so I'm Albertan now. Um, what is making me sick to my stomach is that it's almost an abdication of morality. And I feel like it's... Why are the feds always giving Quebec a pass? Quebec could be seen as a petulant child throwing a temper tantrum because they don't like something. It's like when my now nine years old, when she was five, she refused to walk in the shopping mall. She was doing the bacon dance on the floor. Um, you know, it's they always have to throw a temper tantrum. And I was listening to a podcast today, and the majority of Quebecers, so I'm talking white, boomers, uh, francophone Quebecers, do not see that bill as racist. They literally do not. Which is stunning as, because there's, there's, I, yeah, I but, don't think that you can argue that it's not prejudice. It's prejudice as, as, it is. as all but hell. You need to be living in Quebec, in rural Quebec, and up from Montreal to understand how Quebec is. So I'm okay. So there was a development with uh, Mr. Brown in Ontario, the Brenton's mayor saying, okay, we want to go in legal fight against Bill 21. Then uh, Mayor Gondek jumped in. I'm okay with the call out, but
but I'm worried about the repercussions that it will have with already strained relations with the province of Quebec within the Confederation. I am extremely worried that what is going to happen because, you know, we're here and we're like, well, you don't want our pipeline. That's not nice. And then we're going to go and tell them, well, we're, we don't like your law. It's not nice. What do you think they're going to tell us? They're going to tell us to go pound sand. And in from a legal standpoint, they've already told the country to pound sand. And this is yeah. one of the things that I think is really not being talked about enough in regards to the situation with Bill 21. So there's a, there's a couple of pieces that I think are, are really important to, to think about with it. The, the first one is, this is an old bill. This was enacted in 2019. So this is not a new problem. I think the biggest reason why we're seeing this brought to the forefront is because there, there was a Muslim woman who was hired for a position and had that position taken away from her. And part of the, the conflagration that went up around it came from comments from the Quebec government that she shouldn't have been hired. In the <laughs> hired on the first place, yeah. Which is a poor choice of words with the very best of interpretations. So what um, we're seeing... The current government, the CAQ with François Legault and all that, I would say they're the conservative faction in Quebec. The more conservative church. A lot of CPC supporters are behind the CAQ. They're not going to be behind the Parti Québécois. They're not going to be behind the Liberals. Um, it pains me to see my home province justifying their racism because of our roots. So I was having quite a few heated arguments on Twitter recently saying, yes, but we founded this country. This is our traditions. No, no, no. You got on a boat, you arrived here, and you decided that the inhabitants of this continent were going to follow your customs yes so it is extremely 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 upsetting to see this province fighting so much to justify their racism i can understand from a stand of point where you know mayor gondak uh, mayor brown they want to do something because it is not okay but is it the right approach to throw a hundred thousand dollars in the legal bond Guys that will buy us about 250 billable hours just to build a case. Because well, let's be honest, they only start at 400. They start at $400 an hour. But again, with the notwithstanding clause, there you that go. is causing a whole lot of issues. And this is why the federal government is not able to do much. And also we need to remember that Quebec is under the civil, the civil code not the common law. So that brings a different layer of complicated issues. You need to be able to speak Quebec and understand where they come from to deal with them. Throwing money I'm, at lawyers will not do anything. Sorry, it's upset me so much. I'm, I am so glad that you brought up the fact of the notwithstanding clause because I think that it's poorly understood. And I think that's one of the reasons why this conversation has gotten so heated. Um, and, and this is one of the things that people really need to understand when the, 
when Canada's constitution and, and, and the charter and everything were, were formed, one of the components of that, and it has been a source of incredible problems. And I think that it's also important to highlight that Alberta has also tried to use the notwithstanding clause for some really, really gross things. Um, there was uh, multiple examples. I mean, 1998, uh, Alberta talked about using the notwithstanding clause to try to limit compensation for victims of forced sterilizations. Yeah. Uh, in 2000, Alberta was talking about using the notwithstanding clause to deny people the the right to same-sex marriage. So, yes, the notwithstanding clause is used in a lot of gross ways by a lot of provinces, but the only way to get rid of it would be to reopen the constitution. And that turns into a gigantic shit show because if that constitution was so barely negotiated, and if you were to open it up and say to Quebec or obviously any other province, including potentially Alberta, based on our own history. Look, we're going to take away the notwithstanding clause because we we don't like the way that it's being used. It's being used to, to promote values that are not in line with the charter, which there's no question. Uh, when you take a look at the things that the notwithstanding clause has been threatened to be used for or successfully used for, and it's worth pointing out that in Quebec, it has been successfully defended in court. The, mm-hmm. the courts have ruled on this. And it is bulletproof for the five years from the, when the bill was enacted until the expiration of the bill. So there's really no legal measures short of opening up the Constitution that are going to allow for that bulletproof shield that is the notwithstanding clause to be taken down short of uh, the people of Quebec saying, Nah, this is not who we are. We don't want this. And if you don't get rid of it, we're going to get us a new provincial government. Short of that, there's really nothing that can be done. And that's the frustrating part for me in all of this is that we've seen the municipal government. And I'm a little uncomfortable talking about municipal stuff because normally we play in the provincial sandbox. But the municipal government has decided to make it a provincial issue. So here we go. We've seen a couple of times now where the municipal government has tried to force other layers of government to act in ways that are in contravention with our existing laws. And that's really problematic for someone like me because the correct way to deal with those situations is not to try to override existing laws. It's to try to make better laws and smarter laws and more effective laws. And that comes from a place of, I think, uh, grassroots support from the public for sure but it also has to come from a place of collaboration because you're taking away especially when we're talking about quebec you're taking away this really important tool uh, that as you said a lot of quebecers view as important for protecting their identity and to to just say well we're going to throw x amount of money and i really don't care what the dollar figure is i just don't think that we should be throwing money at a situation that has already been tested in court. There are current legal challenges. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association is trying to further pursue this. Um, And and this is not what that money is going towards. This money is going towards a separate action. And so I, I just find myself wondering, like, why there is absolutely no question that this bill 21 is racist as all hell. It is not representative of who I believe 
Canadians are. It doesn't represent no. the Canadian ideals. And I would be willing to argue that there's a lot of young people in Quebec that it probably doesn't represent them. Um, and I just, it is, like, it, it's, it's terrible and bad and I can't condemn it enough, but I really feel like performative measures that aren't going to change anything aren't the right way to go. So with Mayor Gondek, I salute her because she took a stand against it. And yes, that is speaking up about those issues are important. For sure. Absolutely. 100%. Should we be addressing the federal government to see if there's anything they can do or maybe engage with the province of Quebec to try to find a compromise? Maybe that should have been the way to go to try through interprovincial relations to try to see if we can work something out, if we can do something about it, give the jump to the teacher and just try to make that law die and go away. Um, but, and I'm really for people's picking up against it. I'm the first one against it. I have arguments, heated arguments with my family about it. It's not a good time right before Christmas, before you cash your Christmas check, to have those discussions with your parents. But it is so important and to them, and it's, there's nothing wrong. And I think it comes to an education standpoint and how we need to approach those extremely sensitive issues with, um, I would say, the, the baby boomer generation. Uh, and some Gen X, um, could it be, so also we could even bring it even further to, would this bill damage reconciliation in Quebec? Oh, with the First the Nations. It would, yeah. It would. Um, I lived through uh, the 91 crisis in Oka and Kanesatake. Um, I've seen... Um, a lot of things that should have never happened in this province. I lived through the referendum in 95. Then Mr. Harper gave them the um, distinct society status uh, when he was uh, prime minister. And I believe that did not help. That kind of gave them a free go to do whatever the hell they wanted. Uh, but let's not forget that the, the, the current government is quite conservative. Um, but it's a different kind of conservative that we are seeing here and that we are seeing at the federal level. Perhaps like people like Melanie Jolie, François-Philippe Champagne, even Dominique Leblanc, that is from New Brunswick, uh, Pablo Rodriguez, maybe should be engaging with the provincial government and be like, hey, you're going too far. Can we please work this out? Because there's going to be a storm coming your way, and that is not good for the Confederation. No. But I mean, God to, knows what's going to happen. Um, I, I am bothered by the fact that this seems to be a response to a specific uh, event, and this has been going on for a while. And I do, I, I cannot say enough, I do believe that Bill 21 absolutely needs to be condemned. But I think that there's ways to do it that are more effective. I, I mean, if, if, if Mayor Gondek wanted to say, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put $200,000 into an advertising campaign to attract skilled workers 
from Quebec and let them know that here in Alberta, if you want to wear uh, a hijab, fill your boots. We don't have a problem with that. Here. Yeah. Um, um, not only would that provide to me a, a really strong message of support and reinforce the kind of city that, that Calgary should be, um, but I think that the compare and contrast of that would force some very difficult conversations in Quebec, because if, as you called it earlier, the Bible Belt of Canada is showing a greater display of tolerance and a greater commitment to the, the principles of multiculturalism than Quebec. Than the Catholic be, cocoon. Yeah, It might be time to, to, to take a look in the, the mirror. I think there's, there's a lot of, 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 smart ways that we could have done things that would have not only shown the same commitment to those principles, um, but economically benefited uh, Calgary. But I I can see where Marigandic comes from as she is starting her term. She's trying to establish herself. She's trying to define the next four years. Um, And I can understand her move. 100%. I'm not even mad about that. It's just perhaps the way it is. Like you said, maybe we should, instead of putting big posters in Times Square about Canadian oil, maybe we should put posters in Quebec and be like, hey, you know what? Come over here. We're cool. And one one thing that would help is, you know, I, I was a practicing nurse back home. I'm not allowed to practice here. Um, maybe there could be something with the provincial government. I know there's a program that for skills and trades and all that to transfer credentials, but my nursing Quebec, my nursing training in Quebec is not valid here. And that's a place where we could attract a lot of workers would be Quebec nurses. Um, but for me to be able to practice here, I need to go back to high school, which, which is, is stunning. Stunning. I mean, if, but, if there's two demographics for employees that I think that it's safe to say that we need to do a whole lot of attracting, uh, teachers and healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, there's multiple ways that we could have taken that approach and be like, try to do a seduction campaign with Quebec workers. Be like, you wear a hijab. They don't want you to wear your hijab in the hospital. You know what? Come on over. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll work with you. You're all welcome here. Um, but again, Quebec is Quebec and will always Quebec and will forever Quebec. It I'd is like a problem that, 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 that there is always the opportunity for growth. Uh, yeah, but Nate, they've been set in their ways for so long. Well, same can be said um, about Berta. Maybe when the next generation will start fading and you know, when the boomers will start fading and we're going to see uh, the millennials and the Gen Xers really taking control of public service and, you know, really getting elected, that's when we might see a change. But what I'm going to do this week, I will contact one of my friends. He's a, he's a political science professor at the University of Montréal. I will ask him what's his take on it. He's my age. And great. I will ask him what his take is on Bill 21, and I could report back next week. Well, there we go. So not only are we going to do a roundup of the biggest political stories of 2021, but we're going to get an update on yeah. that. So don't miss it, y'all. No. Okay. It's almost bedtime. 
Yeah, it really is. So um, <laughs> thank you for everyone who stuck around for the extra almost half hour that we thank added you. in towards the end to play in the municipal politics sandbox, because normally that's not something that we do. Um, so we went a little bit off brown there, but I feel like it was worth it. So thank you, everybody. Okay. Um, and this is the, the shameless plug where I get to watch the spaces room clear out. Uh, as always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're producing here at The Breakdown, please consider signing up to sh- uh, support us at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, because we've got a lot of stuff that we want to do in the coming new year, and we need some new toys to be able to pull that off effectively. Uh, so we we need the help. So uh, visit, the, visit the Patreon page, or you can just... just e-transfer uh through info at the breakdown ab that works too but the patreon page is a little bit easier for everybody so yeah there's my plug thank you sarah so much thanks so much everything and i'm glad that we got to do the it literally was the last item on my my list and i was like ah but it's nine o'clock i'm sorry Uh, for the meltdown no that was good i was i (laughs) i i i enjoyed and learned something well there you go so um Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. We will see everybody for our Boxing Day holiday extravaganza. Imagine fireworks uh, and stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll see you then. Thanks again, everybody.